Okay, well, uh, you remember we distilled the discipleship down into empowerment ship, which we talked about this morning, and now performance ship. Performance ship. And then tonight and tomorrow we're going to do facilitation ship. But uh, performance ship is about making talent a strategic responsibility. And I've primed the pump for that now for a day and a half. Making talent a strategic responsibility. You have to have a plan for discipleship. You have to be strategic about this. It's not something that we can just uh, do here and there. And it, it certainly won't happen down line unless you're strategic about it, about building a discipleship culture. So per, now performance... Performance is the litmus test of a CEO. That's the litmus test. Performance. And their performance, when they're working with their teams, is going to be the litmus test of how far you're going to go with God. So performance is that, so I might as well, I mean, I consider every leader a CEO. You're a chief executive of something. So that's why we call this the maximum CEO or ultimate CEO training. We always refer to CEO as the chief executive officer, but includes every leader, because we're all going to be held accountable. We're all chief executives, and we'll be held accountable for what God has entrusted to us to do. Now, your number one challenge is to disciple great people, because your people are your greatest asset. We talked about the investment. We talked about capitalization asset management, but your people are your greatest asset. And some succeed in building great people, and others just pound their head against the ceiling of lack of progress. Pound your head against, like the $5 billion boss I had who ran out of leaders. And you just pound your head against the ceiling because you haven't succeeded in developing great people down line, deep into the ministry. The scarcest resource in ministries today is leadership talent that exceeds the standards. We need people that will exceed the standards. We don't need people that just meet the standards. We need people that exceed the standards. So, you know, we're going to talk about how do you develop performance, what are some of the key ingredients, um, what would you want to know that you would build into your strategic plan for developing strategically talent, to develop talent strategically? So to continue to transform your ministry, to re reinvent your ministry. So you reinvent your ministry one meeting at a time. I modeled a lot of that this morning. You put the issue out on the table, you apply common sense to the issue and turn it into an opportunity by delegating it to somebody sitting around the table who will then go over there, if you have depth, and disseminate that or broker that out into their team, who may even then broker it down into the next level team. And I know for some of you that may be hard to comprehend. You know, wow, all these teams and people and everything, we don't even have that many people in our church. Well, you know, you get a vision. You will. So you reinvent your ministry one meeting at a time. So what happens in these five meetings, in those 25 eventually, will dictate whether you're going to be able to keep pace with 
the Lord's plan. So continuous improvement is what we're talking about, reinvention of your ministry, and that comes through people, your assets, so performance of people. So we're going to talk about constant assessment of your people. I mean, if you're, if you're discipling them, you have to assess how they're doing. So you have to have an assessment tool, and I'm going to share that with you. And you, you're also going to have to target them for success. You're going to see, you're going to have to aim them. You're going to say, These are the, this is what we're targeting toward, because this is where God told us to go, and in order to get there, you're going to have to be able to perform these things. So we have to target. We have to think beyond just getting it through the week or the month. We have to think, okay, well, God is now telling us that we're going to be doing this two years from now. So what do my people have to have to get there? That's what you think about. That's what you think about. You can't wait till we get there and say to the people, you know, I've got a bunch of bozos. You know, they don't, they, they don't know how to do this. That's not their fault. It's our fault as a leader. We're supposed to be thinking about what are they going to need when we get up there. Today we're thinking about that. And then stretching them. They're not going to be able to get there unless you stretch them. Unless you give them opportunities to grow and to learn, to accelerate their learning. Not abuse, but opportunities to stretch them and accelerate their learning. And, and that requires creativity on your part. I'm not, I'm not saying you make up wasteful assignments just so we can, you know, get them active and get them experienced. No, no, they're meaningful assignments. But you have to create, you have to think about that too. You have to think about what, it, what can I do? And I'm, we're going to talk about that. But stretching them. Perspective, in other words, perspective broadening exercises or opportunities. That gives them a bigger perspective. I mean, we're gen, if you're going to generate generalists, then you obviously, they have to gain experience outside of their silo. Their silo of experience or what they like to do or what they feel comfortable doing. They have to come out of the silo and expand their horizon. And you have to help them do that. And it takes encouragement. That's what leadership is. We'll talk about that tonight or tomorrow. But leadership is getting people to go where they don't want to go, do what they don't want to do. Not abuse, not overriding their will, but stretching them. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have leaders, and they weren't, to my knowledge, they weren't even Christian. But they cared enough about me to stretch me. That's how I got here. Some of you have heard this, but my biggest fear, let me save that for another tonight, otherwise I'll have nothing to tell you. <laughs> he saw me back there. I'm trying to figure out how I can get all this into this session here. Okay. Continuous improvement. Okay. Talent drives performance. Under, on the contrary, or conversely, Undeveloped talent and insufficient talent is the single greatest constraint to growth. Have I made that clear up to now? I'm just summarizing, I think, what I've said. But you want to hear it again? Undeveloped talent or insufficient talent is the single greatest constraint to growth. So now, out the gate, I just kind of said that, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have money 
and you don't have leaders, then it's because you're not keeping the ones God sends and you're not discipling the ones that you keep. That's, you've heard me say that ad nauseum, not just here, but over the years. But when people come out the gate here, so they, God sends them to your door, and we had this up here earlier, but when they come out the gate, then they need to immediately get into the pipeline, which we had up here too, we'll just get it back up here, but a pipeline to develop entry-level leaders. Okay, this is the leadership pipeline. And then we're built, what we're building here, the, the thing I keep referring to beyond this team is this and all that, that's an engine. And a leadership engine. This is a leadership pipeline. But a leadership engine, what's that? That's where leaders at every level of the ministry are training and developing or discipling future generations of leaders. That's true discipleship, not just you sitting here. So that's what we're building. But now, let me caution you. Um, you pump them out here, you're going to have to have a watchful eye on deploying them. Because they've discovered who you are. They, maybe they discovered who they are in Christ. Then they discovered who you are. Then they developed their ability to contribute to the ministry by the time they come out of the pipeline. But then we have to deploy them into action. Now we have to put them on a team somewhere. And I want to share this with you because the $5 billion problem that my boss had at the, after I left, I wasn't there anymore, but I read the Harvard Business School case study. But, you know, he had continual compounding success like this. And here was his vision. And he was building, building, building. And he was the darling of Wall Street, the second richest guy in America. But he hit a $5 billion plateau right here when he ran out of leaders. So I told you about that. And he made the change. And he changed the way he led and said, wow, I've got to develop people. I've got to have a, a training and development here because I have all these specialists. I have silos. They're all like me, but there aren't any people that can lead other people here, and we're stuck. So he fixed that problem. He worked on developing people internally, but then they went out and hired people from all the, you know, Henry Bendel, Banana Republic, Neiman Marcus, and they pulled them all in, and they put them in action. Guess what? That didn't work either. That's what I want to tell you. That didn't work either. What was that? It's called on, they called it onboarding. They're on, they didn't have an onboarding program. They just threw these people that were very qualified, threw them into a new culture, and they didn't do well because they didn't have an onboarding program. What's that? Well, uh, let's relate it to your ministry, you and your ministry. The, so let me give you a bunch of things here that, will define the onboarding program. But it's no, it's no good to just get people trained and then not properly onboard them. Orient them to their job. Place them with some kind of professionalism, some kind of care, some kind of level of excellence. Not just throwing them into the breach here. So we have to have an onboarding process. And what, what we're doing, taking these people, first of all, let me just prime the pump, but we're, we're building... We're putting them in a place where they can build relationships. They're getting on a team. You know, we spend so much time building small groups, right? Because why? Because they work, 
right? Relationally, it works. Well, these teams are small groups doing something for God, big time. That's all. They, they're the same thing. They're small groups building God's kingdom work. So we build relationship partnerships in teams. And then we build on their involvement, their giftings, their learnings. Their, we build their confidence. We build their ability to take risks and become more creative, innovative. That's what we're building by getting them on a team because they're on a building team. So they see how other people are creating here and thinking and they're interacting. This team is that same thing there. So what do we need to do to prime the pump? Get them ready for service. They need a job description. Now, let me just explain something because I, I like job descriptions. I mean, they need to know what they're going to be held accountable for. What, what do they, how do they fit into this department? What's, what's their function? But I, I'm not too hot on job descriptions for this reason because it puts people in a box and they tend to think oh I see this is all I have to do to get you know make it it's, I'm just I just work in this box right here so they that we we've already put a constraint on them to be creative innovative and think outside the box right so we want we want to create a box that looks like this. So yeah, we've we put some def definition on what they're supposed to do. We put some parameters around it, but it's open-ended. Let them get creative about how to take their area of responsibility and expand upon it. So job, but they need to know what, where they fit in, what they're supposed to. Okay, number one, job description two. There needs to be an organization chart, and where is their box fit into the overall, all the boxes? Where does it fit in? And you must have an organization chart. You've heard me tell you this. I, don't, I can't teach this now. It's in the product. But the organization chart, you know, you, you, you design it according to God's mandates, not according to the skeleton crew of warm bodies that we have. We need to design it by God's mandates, what he's asked you to do, and all the subcomponents of the mandates. And we spent an hour or more, two, in the basic training when we developed the product, and it tells you exactly how to do that, how to organize your ministry. But they need an organization chart. They need to know where their position fits in with all the others and who they report to and so forth. That's common sense. They need an orientation. They need to know the history of the ministry. They need to know about all the memorials that God's done for you. What is that? Well, that's where he showed up big time. You know, when we've got to build their faith. They need, otherwise they're just a bunch of hirelings. Just stick them in here. It's, any other, it's just like any other organization. No, what's peculiar about you? What has God done all these years? What are the memorials? You know, Mike, when we didn't have any money and we couldn't pay the rent in the storefront, and then a guy walked in off the street and said, you know, I'm, I don't even go to church, but I feel like I should give you this 500 bucks. Yeah, it's a memorial. Or when the land next door was for sale and you, needed, you, need, you, didn't, you weren't thinking about strategic plans in the future and somebody already put some money down on it and it was in escrow. But that deal fell through. And then 
and you realized you needed it, but that deal fell through, and you bought it for less than it was in contract for. Memorial. So people need to know that. And he, when God says, okay, guys, now you're here now, you're, you're at the V, but now go here. And you're going to have to build their faith. So they're going to need to know how many times and all the times and what kind of times God showed up big time in the past to build their faith. So orientation to the ministry and its history, the mission, the vision, department goals, and so forth. Okay, then number four. Who's assigned to mentor them? Who, who will see to it that they get acclimated and become successful? Is there somebody that you've assigned to mentor them, to help them assimilate in? Introduction. Oh, man, it's, so, it's pathetic sometimes. You know, th no introduction. Who are you? Oh, you're here to help. Well, listen, we're really busy. I don't know. Make yourself busy. We'll get back. We're just swamped right now. You know, just make yourself busy. And no, there, we have to introduce them properly, credentialize them. Th praise God, we have so-and-so here. And here's what they're going to be able to bring to our area. W would you, you wouldn't, imagine how you'd feel if you went into the workplace and they didn't do any of these things. How you would feel. That's why the Red Cross eats our lunch when it comes to getting volunteers. Introduction, um, training. Well, they have this kind of training here, but then there's training specific to this area. There's that training, too. And who's ensuring that they get it? I mean, particularly, you know about that for your children's ministry. If they don't do the right stuff, you're in big trouble. If they don't function properly, well, apply that to other areas of ministry, too. You're probably real mindful of that because you've heard about all lawsuits. But, I mean, it's the same principle. We've got to train them not only collective or generally, but specifically for the area that they're serving in. Scheduling, you know. What can they count on them? They have families, jobs. What's, what's going to be expected of them schedule-wise? Evaluation plan. You know, you, you don't just evaluate people that are on staff. And I get asked all the time, that may be one of the questions in the box already. But, you know, well, if they're volunteers, you know, you, obviously you can't hold them to the same standard as people on staff that you're paying. Well, who came up with that? Who said that? Now, yes, they're, they're volunteers, and we need to treat them with respect and appreciate them, encourage them, and thank them. But we, we show all the appreciation, but once they've made a commitment, remember what we did before lunch? Do you understand? Can you confirm that you understand? Can you commit to this? Yes? Okay, then you're going to be held accountable. You're going to be at the same standard as anybody else around here paid or unpaid you just made a commitment to God Amen. so we're gonna yes we're gonna hold you accountable if you said yes you'll do it that's a huge distinction we have to make I mean I know we want to love them and we're pre I used to tell the 325 staff people at Breakthrough TV and World Harvest they said you know where are you volunteering so let's love on these people let's show them we appreciate them but we still hold, we, everybody's at the same standard once you do what I taught earlier. Do you understand what I'm asking of you? We give them a safe harbor to say, I can't do it. But then they commit to doing it. We can't sell them off of it. Yes. 
So then you're on the same level as everybody else. Not because we're trying to punish you, because we're trying to disciple you. Um, targeting plan, we'll get to that. Tracking, then we have to track their, be their behavior, their progress, their involvement. And we need to track them to encourage them, to exhort them, not to nail them. And then nurture them. Appreciate them. Value them. Let people know we love them and appreciate like, like what Pastor did here. He didn't have to do that. He's told them many times. But he values them, appreciates them. And then increase responsibility plan. So how are we going to continually stretch them? That's, that, that's what we have to do with every individual. What's their development plan? What is their discipleship plan? Okay, so now... We get them on a team, and then the next assignment is the one we mentioned, but let's, let's just put it on here again. You may have a small skeleton crew of A players, talking about competency here, not which team they're on. And the reason I'm clarifying that is because you want as many A's as you can develop, as fast as you can develop them, so hopefully you have... A players here, the best of the lot, and the top performers are down here mixed in with the Bs because the Bs will learn a lot faster when they're playing with the A's. Are, are you getting this? So you develop the A's as deep as you can, as fast as you can, and then the rest are Bs, and like I said yesterday, the only Cs would be the people that just came out of the pipeline and entered into deployment here in the ministry. And we're constantly upgrading. Deeper the A's, the better the mix between the others. Okay, you, now, I want to talk to you about, when you think about performance, what, what do you think of? The performance appraisal, you know? Yuck. <laughs> you got to have them. But they're wooden, they're not valuable if that's all you have. They're almost worthless if that's all you have. If you, have a, if you are giving, and I don't even like calling it a performance appraisal because it has such a stigma with the world system. Let's nail them so we don't have to give them an increase, you know, a raise. We're not nailing people here, we're discipling them. So I, I much rather call it a performance summary. A, a summary of what? All the coaching you've done all year with them. You don't wait, you know, let's see, Joe here made a correctable moment, teachable moment for Joe. Well, let's make a note of it in next February, a year from now, or eight months from now, let's do it in the, we'll put it in the performance evaluation. So we've given Joe eight more months to mess up, frustrate you, and embarrass himself. So we can't, the performance appraisals, you must have them. Why? So that then you can analyze. You have to have some goal upon which to analyze future behavior so you can target them for success and so you can stretch them for improvement. And we'll get to each of those. But the, uh, I just want to make sure you understand the performance appraisal, you must have it. But if that's all you do, you're missing it by a mile. Because your job is to do what Jesus did, and that's capitalize on every teachable moment. 
transforming people in the process of doing God's transactions. That's where we transform them. God, first and foremost, yeah, God wants his work done, but he wants people transformed. And that's what Jesus did. He transformed people in the process. So they're walking, they're on their next, going to the next place to minister. But a, an issue pops up. Jesus said, sit down. Let's learn something. And taught them. Or he asked a question to let them discover something new. So they're good, but they're wooden. They, they are, they're cold unless you've done it all year long. And, and when, when you get to a performance appraisal, it's a summary. It's a summation of everything you've discussed all year long. You're just, review, you're just summarizing it. There's absolutely no surprise unless it happened last night after you wrote the, the summary. Are, are you with me? This, we, this is nonsense to have an appraisal where you've never discussed things with them, and that's, that's just surprise, shock and awe now, boy. No, discipleship all year long. And it's no surprise. So it's not scary. Nobody's intimidated by it. But look, it only works if you're honest. If during the course of the year, you're honest. You know, uh, I love this. I, do, I don't remember the author of this, of this statement, British gentleman. Um, but he said, um, did I write it down? Um, yeah. Our, our lives sink decadently amid the perfume of hints and suggestions. Isn't that great? You want to hear it again? Our lie, he said, beating around the bush, mincing words, lack of honesty. He said, our lives sink decadently amid the perfume of hints and suggestions. So, look, we, we need to be honest with people, but we're not trying to nail them. We're trying to disciple them. Let's get, make a shift here. Just like when we have confrontation conflict resolution, the first step is what? Get, change, change your mindset about it. It's discipleship. It's not conflict and confrontation. It's coaching, teaching, training, and mentoring, adding value to them. So it's, if you know, performance evaluations, nothing if you haven't done your job during the year of real-time coaching capitalizing on every teachable moment. And it's simply a summation so that you can now target them for future success. Targeting, uh, so a continuous improvement summary. That's what I wanted to call it. I don't know what I said a minute ago, but I like this. Con continuous improvement summary that I wrote down a while back and forgot what I called it. But continuous improvement summary. And then a leadership analysis tool, we're going to look at that. And then a targeting plan, which I've mentioned several times, where, which involves stretch enrichment exercises, broadening experiences, and developmental opportunities. And we'll, we'll unpack that in a minute. We did that. Okay, a couple of sh more ships that would fall. Remember the, the 40 facets of discipleship? Uh, there's a bunch that fall under this category, this module. We did empowerment ship. Now we're working on performance ship tonight and tomorrow, facilitation ship. But potential ship, potential, 
I'm just going to make a few statements, but I, wanna, I want you to understand the various facets of performance. One is the way we view people, potential ship. Potential is not fixed. Potential is not fixed. And, and just because we get them to one level, you can't leave them there. It's, an, it's, an, it's a never-ending process of discipleship. We never arrive, right? The Holy Spirit never leaves us alone, right? Because he's continually taking us to new levels in Christ and challenging us and stretching us. Well, maybe Jesus has modeled that for us. The Holy Spirit has shown us how this system works. So potential. And what, what's that? The kind of leadership someone can provide someone else in the future. That someone that's fully potential has the capability then of providing potential to someone else. So that's why if you're just the one with potential, then not much is going to happen. Just a few other people that have potential. The kind of leadership that can provide for the future, developing other people. Riskmanship, another ship. Risk. Menship, taking a risk. I like this. A mistake is an event, the full benefit of which has not yet been turned into your advantage. Why? Because we didn't ask the question, what did you learn from this experience, this mistake? So we haven't taken advantage of the experience. I mean, we spent a lot of time this morning talking about empowerment ship. And when they get experience, they're going to make mistakes. When they take risks and, get, and you let them loose and let my people go, they're going to make mistakes. But they, the, the experience is only valuable if they learn from it. So as a coach, your job is to continue, continually ask the question, what did you learn from this experience? So uh, many in industry and even in the military, the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, any military, they have post-action reviews. Post-action reviews or after-action reviews, AARs, some call them. That's critical. That's where people learn. I mean, just to get experience, mess up. Well, there's no value in messing up unless we've learned and made a change from it. And what I... In the basic training manual, in the product, you, there, there are four um, what I call the post-mortem questions. Post-mortem questions. They're so valuable to you. What are those? And you, you phrase, the, the phraseology varies depending on the situation that you're applying them to. But, uh, post, uh, but post-mortem questions would be, what was supposed to happen? What actually happened? What accounts for the difference? What did you learn and what are you going to change? Real simple. And that's most of what you do sitting here. You gave, you gave direction. The direction wasn't followed. So we have a learning opportunity here. So we ask a question. Well, what was supposed to happen? So they're going to repeat back what direction you gave. Or they're going to get an attitude. Who knows what? You may increase your discipleship opportunities just by asking a question. And what was supposed to happen? Well, what actually happened? Well, I didn't get it done. 
I forgot, whatever. I messed up here or there. And well, well, what, well, and then what accounts for the difference? And then, okay, well, what did you learn from this experience? And that's, again, where the attitude comes out. So you're going to learn a lot more than the literal answer to these questions. You're going to learn whether they really care, whether they really have a heart for this or not, whether they're motivated, whether they, on and on and on. That's what you're going to learn when you ask questions. That's why you don't sit here and judge them. Well, what you need to do, pal. No. You ask the question. You'll find out. But those are the four postmortem. Let's keep going. Stretching ship or stretchmanship. Stretching competency, stretching capacity, stretching people. Competency and capacity, you force the discipline. Not overriding their will, but you, you stretch them. You allow them, you create opportunities for them to be discipled. Create assignments, projects, put them on a special task force, let them lead a special task force, something that needs doing. We don't have enough leaders to cover this new mandate from God. So let's just form a task force, take our top people, stretch them, put them on a team, say in addition to what you're assigned to do here, you, you and you, or whatever, all of them, but in addition to what you got, I need you on this task force to, to research this new thing God's talking to us about. And I want you to come up with some ideas and some plans, or at least do some research about why we're having so much problem with that. Put a, give them a stretch enrichment assignment. Now, what happens when you do that? When you put more weight on them, then they're going to transfer the weight to the team, their team. That's going to be the fastest way they start delegating, when you put more weight on them. It's not abusive. Projects, task forces, so forth. Involve, involve them in things you're working on. Get it off you. Take some of the things you are, you are now doing and let them think it through. Say, you know, I've got this thing I'm, I'm gotta, I've got to think through. Give it to them. Let them think it through and give you their input. Are you, you just got to be creative about this. Are you understanding that we're not abusing people here? We're helping them reach their destiny in Christ? Okay. Good people value this. Good people. Good people can work smarter, find efficiencies in what they're doing, change their mindset about how I'm approaching my job, less doing, more disseminating, more delegating, get more done that way. And they, 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 but you help them get there. Mentorship, very quickly, mentorship. It's a little different than coaching, teaching, and training. Mentorship is a personal, and I mentioned this the other day, but let's just hit it again because it's another ship that, that falls under performance ship. Mentorship, personal discipleship as well as professional discipleship. In other words, we're teaching them not just to get to the next level, but for them to re really reach their destiny, to be more valuable in Christ, in life, in everything that they do. We're, we're interested in them personally, their personal care. It's like uh, the, the, uh, in Homer's uh, timeless tale of 
uh, Edesis. And Edesis appointed Mentor. That was his name. And said, when I go out and fight in the Trojan Wars, you train my son, because I'll be gone. And he needs to learn some things. He needs to be discipled, in other words. He didn't use that word. But you train my son. And he was, a fa he was faithful to train Edis's son when he went out to the Trojan Wars. That's where we got the, name, the term, mentor. And he, with mentoring, without mentoring, let's put it that way, without mentoring, they learn less well, they learn more slowly, or not at all, because they're left to themselves with no mentoring. So mentoring is important, and it's a person. It's the main distinction is that it, it's, per, it's a personal care. We, and see, all of these are intermixed. I can't, I mean, I can define each of them, coaching, teaching, training, and mentoring, and I did it a little bit the other day, but they're intertwined. And coaching should be personal care. And training, we should care about them as an individual. So it, you can't separate them. But the tools are modeling, counseling, exhortation, knowledge transfer. That's a biggie. Transferring the knowledge. Somebody you, usually, I mean, this, is, this mentor guy was more experienced than his son. He had a lifetime of experience, which he, which he imparted into Edis' son. That's what we're doing. Taking our lifetime of experience and put, imparting it into others who are taking that and adding it theirs onto it and imparting it into others. It's called discipleship. This, what, are, what skills are involved? Helping others help themselves, not rescuing, not doing anything for them, not thinking for them, not doing their work, just helping them be successful, helping them help themselves. That's huge. Directing honest, with honest critique, honesty, obviously. What good is a mentor that is just uh, beating around the bush and... Co-develops a plan for change and growth and added value. So they're, they're, they're in partnership, partnership and relationship to develop a plan for this person's improvement, for their added value, for God. Me, they uh, wean, uh, now, we wean others off. I have clients. The objective is not to get, be there with them the rest of their life, is to wean them off by doing my job right expecting them to learn from what I teach them. But that, that the, so we wean, we're, the objective is to wean people off. They develop a plan with your suggestions and counsel. You don't give them answers. It's artful. You don't give them answers. You ask questions for their self-discovery, and you don't solve their problems. You communicate and ask questions. Let them discover their own solutions. Team mentorship. This is a mentoring team right here, what, we were, what we've been designing or talking about here or describing, illustrating, is team mentoring. They learn from each other. And the team, just like the mentor cares about the individual, the team cares about each other if you facilitate it effectively. The team. So a lot of the mentoring takes place right here. The team, like I said, Nehemiah, you know, they worked with their weapons on. They, fought, they, they watched for each other covered for each other. So the, the team learns from one another. They share experiences, their best practices. They empathize and provide mutual support. I love it when I see a team. They minister to one another. 
Well, you got something when that happens. Minister to one another. And that's what happens in the interim facilitation trainings, too, that a lot of the partners host and, and certainly attend. They minister to one another. It doesn't get any better than that. It's awesome when I see that happening. That gives me one of my greatest joys when I see pastors ministering to one another instead of the opposite of that. So this is a mentoring pool, team discipleship. The keys are they agree and add value that each has something to learn from each other. So when I disagree, we have a mutual understanding that we're learning from one another. Next time, they're going to disagree with me. We're learning from one another. We may not agree, but we're learning how other people think. We're looking at different ways to attack a problem, different perspectives. Absolute confidentiality and trust has to be here. What takes place here stays here. Because, so this is sanctified. This is sanctified onto this team. No, you know, we don't go out leave this meeting and tell people what happened in here. You should have heard what Fred said. Oh, my goodness. But Fred told me not to share it with anybody, so don't share it with anybody. <laughs> okay, and then just one more thing. Um, team intervention. Interventionship. You can't, you see a gap in, in performance, you can't just let it slide. You have to intervene. When? Next year when we do performance evaluations? No, now, right this minute, now. We're in the meeting. You see, we are, someone's presenting. I like this illustration, so I'll use it again. But here's Susie. She's presenting. And here's Irene over here. And she's pr presenting. And I see out of the corner of my eye Irene going like this. So what, what should I do? Just kind of blow it off? Yeah, it's probably nothing much. Should I write it down and then when we have performance evaluation next October, you know, I'll bring it up? You know, you have any problem with her? No, right here. Oh, hang on. What was her name? Susie. Yeah. Hang on, Susie. Irene, you having a problem with her? Oh, no, Pastor, no, everything's just fine. No, I mean that woo-woo thing you just did. You having contention with her? Is there, you having a lot with her? What's, what's going on? Honesty. See, it gets real simple when you've established the consequences, the expectations, the consequences. But you don't blow this thing off. This is a little gap. It's World War III. We, this, this, this is where splits start. Team intervene. The team intervenes, and I, I made ref well. I made reference to it, but the teams will fight for you. They'll fight for the team. They'll fight for God's work. The team will intervene on your behalf. You'll be right here in the meeting, and somebody's smoking the team here with a bunch of gibberish, and somebody on the team, or they're late all the time with their assignment, or late for the meeting. Whatever it is. You've established the rules, so you say, well, you, you confront in private and you praise in public. This is private. This is a private team meeting for Christ. So we've established the rules in here. You come on time. When you say you're going to have an assignment done by this date, then it better be done by that date. And you're going to have the team. You, someone's going to be telling, well, I, don't, I didn't get it. I, didn't, I did my best. Well, your best wasn't good enough. We need to do whatever it takes 
for God. And so somebody's going to say, you know, Irene, I'm really getting tired of this. You know, how many, every meeting we have to talk about lateness or some dysfunction. And, you know, I'm, I'm really getting tired of it. I've got, I've got issues that I have solved and I need approval to move forward. And every meeting we got this dysfunction in here and I'm tired of it. When are you guys going to stop this? That, that will happen. You say, well, that's terrible. What if they quit? <laughs> Look. What is it I always say? Um, yeah, what if they, what if, the, we're desperate for people. We can't be, you know, running people off. Desperation is not the criteria for a value system. You got a value system, then put it into action. And let the chips fall where they may. How, that's how God can sift and sort when you hold a righteous standard. Oh boy, don't. Make me go there, Holy Spirit, right now. We don't have enough time. Surely he knows that. Uh, <laughs> don't you? Don't you? <laughs> okay. Performance ship. Okay. Let's, let's look at a couple tools. Some of you heard these, and that's good that we remember them. Um, tool. First of all, performance falls into two camps. One is results. And one is behavior. Results and behavior. What's that mean? Well, the re results, we could say, are goals that we established. Remember, if, if we're keeping ten, only 10 to 15% of the people God sends to our door, then maybe the goal or a result that we're trying to achieve this year is to turn the 10 into 20. That would be an example of a result. We're going to change the result from 10 to 20. So halfway through the year, we ought to be at 15. And a quarter of the way into the year, 12 and a half. And one month into it, you do the math. I'm not that good. But goals, what we set to do, accomplish for God, results. And then what's this? Behavior, the way we function, the way all the things we talked about here, honesty, Righteousness, delegation, discipleship, those are behaviors. And so this is about functioning here. And I, I want you to see this. If, if this is a scale here that we're going to measure results and individuals, one chair's results. Okay, you're going to do them all. But we're going to be measuring the results here of this group, this team, led by this leader. So here's a poor level of results, and here's high level of results. And then we have to, because you won't get the results until the behavior is right. It, won't, it certainly won't sustain itself. Then we have, here's poor level of behavior, here's high level of behavior. Based on what you told them you expect, behaviorally. We'll look at quickly at the competencies that I would recommend that you have on your team, on every team. But, okay, so you with me? We got the scale of results here, and then we have the scale of behavior. Now, the objective is to get somebody, an A player is going to be somebody that gets the results and builds teams and delegates and does what you expect. Because if they don't do that, look what happens. So here we have this guy, 
And he flat out can get anything done you've delegated to him up, up until now. Okay, so all, the, all, of the, all of the mandates that God's pouring into your ministry are going and a lot of them flowing into this guy's chair. And he's handling them all. As, they, as God adds more and some go into his funnel here, he's handling them. So it, it doesn't look like we have a problem, you know? He has a team, but here's the problem. He's not using the team. He's not discipling the team. There's no discipleship here. He has a team, but they're not helping him build. And he hasn't developed somebody to be very close to him in terms of competency and capacity. So he, well, first let's take the, the good part of this. So when you connect, you know, the results and the behavior is right, then you connect the dots and you'll have an A player here. But if this person is achieving up until now, but they haven't really built a team, they haven't been functioning the way you've expected them to function, the way you've directed them to function, delegating, discipling, just as an example, then they're lower on the scale of functioning. And when you connect, you got to connect the dots because they run parallel to one another. And when you connect those dots, they're not even a B player, even though they're getting a lot done. Why? What's the problem? Well, the next thing God's, God adds here, here it drops another one, it flows right down. They can't handle anymore because they're the skinny neck of the funnel. They haven't taught anybody else. Are you getting this? Okay, so you have to, my whole point in mentioning this is you have to evaluate both results and behavior. They go hand in hand. They, you can't separate them. That's why discipleship is so important because as you develop them, they can develop their team and then we can handle more. But with this, and know that they max out, and you're stuck, and the ministry stagnates, or company stagnates. And it, it, this is a, a little gap that becomes an encumbrance or, or a stifling gap, like the one Wexner had. They couldn't lead. There weren't anybody, that, there wasn't enough leaders. Then the other thing, and I just mentioned, we're going to, you know, I'm going to just tell you very quickly. Um, you want to have people, I can't, I can't unpack these, but um, there'd, be, there'd be seven core criteria that I would recommend that you have, and I want to I show you how you evaluate. Now, you, some of you know this, but you must teach your people these things. That's why I'm bringing it up here. It's not the basic training. This is the, this is the training that will remind you of the things that you've learned or are learning and you must put into your people so they can put it into others. So everybody has to be checking this. I mean, we need this done with this team here and subsequently with those teams, not just the one team here. Okay, then here we have the five people on your team. And so here's Joe and Peggy and Susie and whatever. Here are the seven uh, major core competencies here. And then you can add three more of your choosing.
But let me tell you quickly, you, you want people with strategic thinking, strategic minds. You want people with a teachable spirit. Discipleship's not going very far if they're not teachable, if they don't have a humble, teachable spirit. You want people that have emotional maturity so you can function like this on a team. You get people to get an attitude at the drop of a hat, then you're not going to get very far. It's going to create havoc here. So strategic mind, teachable spirit, integrity and emotional maturity, godly maturity, in other words, interpersonal communication skills. They know how to listen. They see people through God's eyes. They listen through God's ears when they relate to everybody else in the ministry. So they're a replication of you, in other words. They're, they're, they're a replication of you, the pastor, because that's the way you function. That's the way you see things. They have entrepreneurial instincts. They're interested in growing something here. They're not interested in just messing around. I was sharing with somebody at the break. You know, you, good, good people will be attracted to this system, but good people will not come and get on a team that's amateur night. You know, it's just silliness. We don't accomplish anything, and they're not, they're not going to get on that team. But they'll, if it's a cutting-edge team and they will get on that team, they'll find some time to give you to help. They know how to work smart. Um, where were we? Next one would be their achievers focused on results. They're bottom-line-oriented people. They're interested in achieving goals and accomplishing the right behaviors in others themselves and in others. And then finally, the ability to attract and inspire other talent. If we're going to be the disciples of men, then we need to attract and inspire other talent as opposed to people that repel people. Okay, so, let, so there, those are the seven core competencies here. And then maybe you add three more. What would you add? The things that keep you awake at night, that drive you nuts. Add them on here and let's change their behavior. So problem solving, maybe, uh, innovation, whatever it is that you have the greatest deficiency in, add it to the list. Make it 10. Don't get carried away. Let's fix these and keep, keep them growing. Okay, now, this is what I want you to see. The, if you add these, so you give on a scale of 1 to 10, where are they in terms of number one, strategic thinking? So you give each person a grade based on a scale of 1 to 10. It's, it's not that complex. And then you can talk to them about these things. Not to nail them, to improve them, help them, disciple them. Okay, so you just take the 1 through 10 and you, and you give it a number here. So this is a, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, a 7 and then number 2 is a 8 and then this one's a 5. And then this is a 7 and 6 and a 9 and whatever, okay? Well, then this would be, these would be the couple that you concentrate on. When you go horizontally, and then you got some over here too, when you go horizontally, this would be the, the score, the total over here for that individual. But these would be the things that you target improvement on, right? These are the things that need the greatest amount of change. Now in order for us to go here, okay? And then when you do the same thing for the other four, then when you add them up vertically, you will see the things that need the greatest amount of change in your team, collectively. And that's how you then can target them for success. 
you work in it, work in it. Well, and I, invariably somebody will say, um, well, I heard and I read a book where, you know, you're supposed to just work on their strengths and not on their weaknesses. So let's say their weakness is unrighteousness. Oh, boy. Yeah, that really works. Okay. So I saw I answered that question for you. Um, okay. Total to the right is individual. And, and the, this is how I would calculate if it was compensation. But you say, well, then you don't need to do this if, it, if you're not paying them. <laughs> Who came up with that? We're discipling people. So why wouldn't you do this for every? We're not trying to nail volunteers. We're trying to help them. This is an area where you're going to be more valuable to God if we can move the five to a seven this year. And let's work together in partnership and relationship. I'll do my part. I'll help you as long as you do your part. And we'll become better. You, you will become better. You work it. I'll coach you. I'll help you. I care about you. So this is how 